Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we learn the memory tactics and strategies of an international grandmaster of memory. We look at why there's no such thing as a bad memory or a good memory only bad memory strategies and good memory strategies. In real time, we build a memory palace that you can use to memorize and effortlessly recall the 10 emotions of power. We go deep into the system for organizing and remembering huge chunks of information and much more with our guest, Kevin Horsley. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to our email subscribers. So be sure to sign up and join the email list today. First, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand. This is our most popular guide and it's called how to organize and remember everything, which you can get completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide. You got to sign up to find out by joining the email list today. Next, you're going to get a curated weekly email from us every week called Mindset Monday. Our listeners have been absolutely loving this email. It's short, it's simple, it's filled with articles, videos, stories, things we found interesting or fascinating in the last week. Lastly, you're going to get exclusive content and a chance to shape the show. You can help us vote on guests. You can help us change our intro music and much more. You can even submit your own questions to upcoming guests. You'll also have access to exclusive giveaways that only people who are on the email list get access to and much, much more. 
be sure to sign up and join the email list. There's some incredible stuff, but only subscribers who are on the email list are getting access to this awesome information. In our previous episode, we went deep into the high-performance habits of the world's top performers, looked at the only place confidence truly comes from, dug into why we struggle to perform under pressure, examined the habits, routines, and strategies of the world's absolute best and what they use to perform at their peak, and much more with our guest returning to the show for a second interview, Dr. Michael Gervais. If you want to master the habits of the world's top performers, listen to that episode. Now for the show. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Kevin Horsley. Kevin is an international grandmaster of memory and was one of the first five people in the world to obtain that title. He's also the world record holder for the matrix memorization of 10,000 digits of pi. He's also the best-selling author of several books on memory, and his work has been featured in Oprah Magazine, Time, Forbes, Inc., and much more. Kevin, welcome to the Science of Success. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. To start out, I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey and how you kind of got interested in memory. When I was eight years old, a school psychologist said that I may have a form of brain damage, and he wanted to send me to a special class because I had dyslexia. So I wasn't born with a good memory. When I was at school, I had a memory like a sieve, and I couldn't concentrate. I used to get my mother to read the information to me and friends to help with my homework, and what I didn't get, which was most of it, I just didn't get. You know, In 12 years of school, I never read a book from cover to cover alone. I always needed someone to help me to get through the information, and when I was in matric, I was reading at a top speed of 50 words a minute. Now, that's the speed of an embarrassed five-year-old. So, in my final year of school, I still couldn't read much better than when I started school. But to cut a long story short, in 1989, I managed to get through school. And one night, I was walking around the local bookstore, and I found three books. One was on learning to learn, the other on memory, and the other on speed reading. And at that time, I thought I was going to read the speed reading book and read the other two quickly, but it didn't kind of work out that way. I ended up battling my way through the memory book. And for the first time in my life, I discovered that I have a brain. And I realized that if I kept on doing what I was doing, I wouldn't be able to change my results. So I started studying psychology, the mind, memory, the brain, accelerated learning and started applying this information to my life. And I was studying law at the time and applied it to that. And I took myself to a point where I was reading and taking in four to five books a week. I overcame all my dyslexic issues and I could learn more in an hour than it would take the average person a month to learn. And in 1995, I decided to go and take part in the World Memory Championships. Now, that's where all the best memories in the world get together. And we fight it out in 10 different events. And that year, I managed to come second in the written word event, which is proof that I overcame my dyslexic issues. And I came fifth overall. And that same year, Prince Philip of Liechtenstein and the World Brain Trust awarded me the title International Grandmaster of Memory. And ever since then, I've broken a few world records. I've been studying memory and finding people with superhuman abilities and finding out what are they doing differently and copying that and taking that into my life. And I've also, as you mentioned, written a best-selling book called Unlimited Memory. And I'm continually helping people to improve their memory and their life with the memory methods that I've been studying over the years. So that's a short story of how I got into it and what I have achieved since the school days. It's fascinating to me. You know, we've interviewed a number of people who are kind of memory and learning experts. And I think almost universally, they share kind of a commonality of having some kind of learning disability or learning issue 
and then completely sort of radically transforming their brains. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's really just a learning difference. And well, we have a deep desire to really improve. And, you know, if you think about all personal development, it all begins with the desire. And well, if you can't do something, you need to fulfill that. So, you know, most of us are just studying strategies and ways to overcome problems that we've had in our childhood. And I think that's really the biggest reason that you have this deep desire and deep motivation to improve an area of your life that's not working so well. And I think it's fascinating and a really important lesson for the people that are listening to this conversation that your current challenges or limitations aren't necessarily condemning you to a life of a poor memory or dyslexia or whatever. You're sort of living proof that you can retrain your brain using things like neuroplasticity and, and truly transform into somebody who accomplishes superhuman feats and is quite literally a, a world record holder. You, you can never be more than your definition of yourself. So if you consistently hold on to a label, you're going to have to live according to that label. And we have to question these labels because a lot of them aren't always the absolute truth. And the more we question them and find strategies, then we can end up changing our results. So I know you've talked in the past about the idea that there's no such thing as sort of having a good memory or a bad memory. Could you tell me what that means and why you said that? Well, if you think about it through the thousands of hours of schooling and university, not one hour is spent on how to improve your memory or your concentration. And everywhere that I've been around the world, that doesn't happen. No one really teaches you anything about your amazing brain. So no one's telling you a strategy. It's like, uh, you know, we, we just see, well, you can think, you can remember, so that must be it. That's your default system. You cannot improve it. Well, there are many different strategies that you can use to improve it. So I don't really like to call them memory techniques or mnemonics. I prefer to just think about it as a memory strategy. And you either have a good memory strategy, you have a bad memory strategy. For example, people that are good at remembering names, they do something different to people that are bad at remembering names. So it's really looking at what are the strategies of great memory masters, copying them, taking them into your life, and you can get the same results. And that's what I mean by that. Tell me a little bit about when you say a good memory strategy, what do those look like and how do they differ from the strategies or maybe lack of strategies of people who think that they have a bad memory? Well, if you think about it through school, we've just really been taught rote memorization you know, using your auditory memory to repeat information over and over. Now, if you're using your auditory memory, you are, after about seven bits of information, you're going to start getting confused. And with auditory memory, it's always sequential. So if you have to memorize something, it's like a song, you know, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, that you keep on going. And you can't just jump in and out of information. So the key strategy of developing and improving your memory is to improve your visual memory, to use your imagination to hold on to content. Because our eyes and ears don't do the remembering. You know, your subconscious mind doesn't pick everything up. Only when your mind gets engaged. And the best way to do that is by using your imagination. And when you can imagine content and see it clearly in your mind and connect it to something that you already know, then you will be able to remember it more clearly and you'll be able to use and recall that information effectively. And I think there's two kind of fundamental components to that. And you touched on both of them, which is the whole piece of the pie of kind of imagining content, creating sort of visual markers or whatever term you used to describe them. And then the other piece is how do you plug that information into existing kind of thought networks and, you know, the existing structure of your memories. 
I'd love to dig into both of those to start with. Maybe tell me a little bit more, you know, for someone who's not as familiar with memory techniques, when you say imagining content, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, let me just give you a strategy. So there's only really three keys to developing a super memory. You need a place, you need a unique image, and you need to glue those two together. So you can remember it with the word pug, you know, a little dog pug. So you've got place, unique image, and glue. So let me give an example. Let's learn Tony Robbins's 10 Emotions of Power. And so what we're going to do, the first emotion is love. If you think about love, what do you think of? I think about my wife. Think about your wife. So you could imagine your wife maybe standing on your feet or stomping on your feet. Or you could imagine a big red heart on your feet. So that could represent love. The next emotion is gratitude. And so for gratitude, it sounds a little bit like greatest. And I could imagine a cheese grater busy grating your knees. So you have a place, you're putting it on your knees, you have a unique image, and you're gluing them together with a bit of action. The third one is curiosity. So on your thighs, you could imagine a cat on your thighs because curiosity killed the cat. So you can imagine a cat digging into your thighs and you can really see it, feel it, and use all of your senses to connect it to that specific place. On your belt, the next emotion is excitement. So you can make your own image there. You can get your belt getting all excited. So what was on the feet? What was the first one? My wife. Which would represent? Love. Okay, then on the knees? The cheese grater. Cheese grater, which represents? Gratitude. Okay, then on the thighs? A cat. Which is? Curiosity. Okay, then on the belt? Uh, I forget what the image was, but excitement. Excitement. Okay, so the belt was getting excited, so you got it there. And then on the stomach, you can imagine maybe the Terminator trying to get through your stomach. And I can go quite quickly now because now you have the Terminator getting through your stomach because that's determination. Or you can imagine that you're trying to get a six-pack with determination. In your left hand, you can imagine someone doing the splits because that's the emotion for flexibility. So see that image, see a unique image, make it wacky, make it outrageous because illogical images are going to stick in your mind. Then in your other hand, you can imagine the super confident person for confidence. So let me just go through. We had the bottom. So we had love, we had gratitude, curiosity, excitement, determination, flexibility and confidence on your mouth you can imagine you've got a big smile and that is for cheerfulness so cheerfulness a big smile on your eyes and on the on your forehead you can imagine you're putting vitamins in there because that's for vitality and energy and on the top of your head you can imagine that you're giving away a present or giving away money because that's for contribution or you can use whatever image is in your mind for contribution put it on the top of your head so i'll go through them one more time so you've got love gratitude, curiosity, excitement, determination, flexibility, confidence, cheerfulness, vitality, and contribution. Do you want to try and go for it? See if you've got them in memory? Yeah, I think I have them all memorized. Okay, let's go for it. Let's see how it goes. All right, you want me to go... See, now this is the cool thing about these memory techniques. I could go backwards or forwards, right? Or I could go in the middle. Excellent. So let's go backwards. Okay, so top of my head, I've envisioned like a present or something, like a gift. So that's contribution. And then I have like vitamins getting sort of put into my forehead. So that's vitality or energy. And then big smile on my mouth, that's cheerfulness. And then in my right hand, I've got, I envision like, and this is kind of a weird image, but like a con man, basically. So it's confidence. And then in my left hand, I've got a woman, like a ballerina doing the splits. And that's flexibility. And then I see the Terminator like busting out of my stomach. And that's determination. And then I see my belt as like a excited snake, maybe. And so that's uh, excitement. 
and then a cat on my thighs. And so that's curiosity. And then a cheese grater on my knee, like grating my knee and that painful, but uh, that's uh, gratitude. And then on my feet is like a, is my wife. So that's, that's all 10 of them, right? Which is love. Excellent. So you have them all because why did it work so well? You had a place, so you used your body, you had a unique image and you used your own unique experience for the images for each of them because the more you can make it personal, the more it's going to stick and you glued them together. So by giving an action, you know, feeling maybe the pain in your knees when the grater is busy grating your knees. But now some people say, but, oh, but this is silly, you know, but in the beginning you make it illogical and with a bit of review and thinking about the content, then it becomes logical. And then you can just hold on to it and you could use it in your day-to-day life. And now every single morning you can wake up and say, you know, what do I love in my life? What am I grateful for? And now you can use it because it's in your memory. You have an internal experience of the information and you're not just observing the information. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's really practical because anybody listening can go through that same experience and, you know, simultaneously not only learn those kind of 10 emotions of power, but also see how useful and interesting some of these memory techniques are. And it's something I've been sort of personally working on a lot. So I've, I've been trying to kind of boost my creativity and my ability to do that. I also want to get into, and this is more of a technical sort of specific question, but what happens when your sort of memory palaces get crowded and things like that? But we'll, uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about the second point you made which I think is really important, which is the idea or the necessary kind of component of connecting it to something that you already know. Yes. So the formula that I use is long-term memory plus short-term memory equals medium-term memory. So you can use anything that's already in your long-term memory. So for example, we just use the body because you know it really well. You're in it every day. You can use anything. You could use your car and you can use that as a framework or like you can imagine it as being the paper in your mind. Like the body was the paper, the imagery was like the pen and you're just writing the imagery on that paper in your mind. You could use anything that's already in your long-term memory, but all the memory masters are using more than anything else is journeys because we have a great memory for journeys. You remember what your house looks like, and if you don't, then I can't help you with that memory problem. But we remember journeys. We remember how we got to work. We remember the routes that we take. While you're listening to this podcast, if you're in your car and you re-listen to it later, you are going to remember where you traveled while you're listening. It's a natural thing that happens. So using journeys to be able to help you remember And we have so many journeys in our mind that we could use to be able to connect information to it. So that's what I mean. So you're taking something, a place that's in your long-term memory, a unique image to hold on to that short-term memory. And by review and gluing it together, it becomes a medium-term memory. And then by reviewing it, you're going to be able to keep it for a longer time. It's such a good example. It's really funny because, you know, as, as someone who obviously hosts a podcast and I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks, I'll sometimes be like driving by somewhere or think of a specific time and be like, oh, that reminds me of this passage in this audiobook that I was listening to at the time. And so I think anybody who's listening to this show probably has had a similar experience. And it just shows you, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, the brain was really designed for visual and spatial memory primarily to be the most important from a survival standpoint. And so when you key your memory strategies around visual and spatial memory, you're suddenly accessing a much richer and deeper toolkit than kind of just auditory memories. No, absolutely. And you need a place to be able to go and find that information again. And we've all had this experience, you know, you go to specific places, that memory just floods back. So what you're doing is that you're consciously using your memory in that way to remember key information that you need for your business and for your life. 
So I've heard you in the past, and I love the the example of using journeys. I've heard you in the past talk about Google Maps and how you kind of integrate that into being a tool for storing and encoding memories. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So, you know, the strategy is get a place, unique image and glue it. So you can go to Google Maps. So what I do, I enjoy running. So I look at my running routes on Google Maps and I can get all the details of specific stations. And what I mean by station is like what we did on the body. The feet would be a station, the knees would be a station, the thighs would be a station. So now you can go onto Google Maps and have a look at places that you can put information. And then if you have, say, 100 bits of information, you can turn it into a unique image and put it on the Google Map because you will be able to remember it. Now, you don't always even have to be at that place or know that place well. You can just go to familiar tourist sites. You know, you can go to the Statue of Liberty, Buckingham Palace, or wherever you have maybe wanted to go. And you can walk through it using Street View on Google Maps to be able to connect that information. So it creates a wonderful place because it's really unlimited. You know, you can go and use your entire town or entire city. You can go and use all the different tourist attractions around the world to remember key content. As long as you connect a unique image and glue them together, you can remember massive amounts of information with it. So is it possible that our brains can get full or sort of jumbled and there's so much information in there that it's hard to remember or recall anything? I don't think it could get full, but uh, it can get overwhelmed if you're using the wrong strategy. If you are using an auditory strategy to try to hold on to content, you're only going to be able to hold on to about seven bits of information. But when you are using a method like this, you know, using the journeys or using your house or, or your body in that, all you're actually doing is remembering one thing at a time. So it's a place, it's the image, glue them together, move on. So I don't believe you can fill up. So there's no... There's no real limit to what you can do with your mind. The, the only limit is really time. You know, do you have time to to learn all the content that we have out there? But I don't think there's any limits. And I've heard you say before, the more you know, the easier it is to know more. Can you tell me what that means? So, for example, if you have experience in a certain field and you and I both go to a seminar. So let's say you are an engineer and, and we go to an engineering seminar and I'm not an engineer. I could use all my memory methods, my memory power, but you're probably going to come away more f- with more from that seminar because you have experience that you can connect information to. And that's what I mean by the more you know, the easier to get to know more. So let's say, for example, even if you just know all 45 presidents of the United States of America, if you have that content, when you read more about them, that information will just naturally slot into that framework. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I think it's a really important point, which is that, you know, the way the brain sort of works from a physical standpoint is you have all these networks and nodes connected to each other. And the more networks that you have and can kind of activate, the more knowledge and experience you have, you can kind of naturally hang these ideas on that that lattice work of existing knowledge and plug them in really easily. Yep. And some researchers say, you know, we have 86 billion brain cells and each brain cell is capable of making 30,000 to, to 40,000 different connections. And so what that really means is that if you read and memorized the book a day and you live to be 10 million years old, you'll probably still never be able to fill your brain up. I mean, we have a phenomenal brain that we don't, we, we know a lot about it, but we don't truly understand what's really happening yet. <laughs> but hopefully we'll get there soon. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I want to come back to something you talked about a moment ago, which is review and the importance of review as kind of a tool of encoding memories for the longer term. Tell me about that. So the first thing is you got to, when you're learning something is first ask yourself, is this something that I need to learn for just in time or for just in case? So if it's for just in time, like for example, if I have a presentation tomorrow and it's content that I don't need to keep on reusing, then I'll just use a memory journey and I'll hold on to it for a day. But if it's stuff that I need to know for just in case, for example, you know, I do a lot of business consulting, so I have business frameworks, thinking tools, and different business models. Now I'm going to have that information on a place, on a journey, like what we did with the 10 emotions of power. And then I'm going to review it over longer and longer periods of time. So the minimum effective dose would be really that you need to review after one hour of learning new information because your brain will start to let go of information that you don't really need. 
And then say you need to review it after a day, after so it's one hour, one day, then after about a week. But for some people, they need to go and review it after three days. But it just depends on how memorable and how unique that content is. And then if you've done it by the end of the week, then you can spread it out over longer and longer periods of time, then one month, then two months, and then it'll slowly begin to move into your long-term memory. And the way that I do it to keep on reviewing is that I put the key information that I need for just in case, I put it into Evernote, and I add reminders through the app called Todoist, and I get reminded so every few days just to go and review this content to keep it alive because with the methods you're storing the information in an illogical way so you need to get to a place where it's logical where it just becomes second nature so you need to keep on reviewing to renew the information so i really want to dig into the concrete specifics of this because i'm a huge evernote user as well and use it to organize pretty much my entire life and my thoughts and ideas book summaries etc tell me about you know, I have a number of questions about this, but tell me a little bit more about sort of how you use Evernote to, let's say, remember something from a book. And I'd love to even start with sort of the whole life cycle. Like, let's say you read a book, then how do you like, what do you do in terms of creating a summary? How do you sort of create it in Evernote? And then what is the process and how frequently do you review it? Okay. So what I like to do is read off a Kindle. So I'm using Kindle on my iPhone. And I'll take all the underlines that I've used and I'll put that into Evernote. So let's just say, for example, because we use the example, you have these 10 emotions of power or you've got any key information, you'll put that into Evernote as well. You'll tag it. So tag it with so 10 emotions of power, Tony Robbins. You'll have tags that will help you to remember exactly what that content is. So you can find everything within a few seconds just on Evernote and then putting it in a specific folder for books that you're reading as well. So you'll put all that content that you want to remember that you've put on journeys because what I do when I'm reading is I'll, so I'll get a new book. I'll always have a journey in my mind first so that I can hold on to that key content and then I'll go and put that key content into Evernote. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I want to get even more specific on this. Mostly for just my own use, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the process of revamping a little bit the way that I review and store information. And part of that is because I've been embarking on kind of a personal journey of using visual markers and memory palaces and stuff more frequently. But let's say, let's even start before you finish, like, let's say you have a new book, right? What is your process for before you've even read that book? How are you thinking about creating a memory journey or a memory palace, you know, before you do it? How many ideas are you going to place into that memory palace? you know, what are you going to do kind of as you're reading it? How frequently are you going to be filling that up, etc.? I'm really, really curious about the very specific details of this process. Okay. It also depends on book to book. But the overall strategy would be this. You know, I'd get the book. I would first do an overview. And I'll just overview the book, see what it looks like, have a look at the table of content. I'll continually make predictions, you know, what I think this is all about, what I already know about it, because the more you know, the easier to get to know more. And once I've overviewed the book, then I do a preview of the book. So I go and find out and see what is it that I would like to specifically know from this book. So if you think about, remember when people used to read newspapers, you'd first overview the newspaper and then you're going to preview what are those specific articles that you need to read that are important to your life, that are relevant to your life, that you really need to improve 
your business or any area. Then you would take that content and then you'll decide, okay, those are the ones that I'm going to read. These are the ones that I need to remember. And then you'll do an in-view. This is where you go and get that content, go and put it on specific journeys that you've allocated for that book. And so, you know, you can either go and even remember the table of content if that's going to help you to develop the framework. But normally it's just a whole lot of lists, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. You've got the 13 keys or the 13 keys of trust or the 17 keys of customer service or whatever you need. And then you'll put that onto a journey and then you'll go and review by putting it into Evernote and then creating a review system for that information to continue to come back to you. So, you know, every book is different and every book has a specific purpose, but the overall strategy would be overview, preview, in view, what is the key content that I need? And then I'll go and review by putting it onto a journey so that I can remember that content and then putting it into Evernote. So when you create the note in Evernote, is that just sort of a list of the, let's say the 10, the 10 emotions of power, or is that like more of a description of what your memory journey looks like? It'll just be the content. Because, I, you know, if I'm reviewing over, you know, one hour, one day, one week, I will know where I've put that content. Sometimes I can also just put a little note and say, you know, I used this running route or I used this specific place on Google Maps just as an extra reminder. But normally the content will just remind me to go to the specific place that I need. If you'd be willing to kind of go into details, you know, I think the example of the 10 emotions of power was a really concrete way for people to think about how to encode information using, you know, visual markers or, or these kind of unique images on their body as a specific place. But I'd love to hear maybe a specific memory palace or memory journey of yours so that listeners can have a really sort of explicit understanding of how you think about, you know, those memories. So let's say you start on a journey. What is, where is that journey and how are you kind of encountering the markers throughout that? Okay. Let's say specifically I'm reading the book bold and in bold they talk about six key things that are going to really six key trends for the next century and the first trend is networks and senses so i would create a journey let's just use my house and we'd say the kitchen would be networks and senses so in my mind i would put networks and senses in the front of the kitchen and then the second area, I'm not going to go through all six, just to give you an example. Then we'd go into my lounge. And in the lounge we have there is infinite computing. So at the front door of my lounge, I would have lots and lots of computers, maybe jumping into the room or something, making it unique, making it illogical. And then say the third place would maybe be my office. And in the office, we would have artificial intelligence. And there I can imagine this big plastic brain to remind me of artificial intelligence. Now I have three rooms for each of these keys. So anything that I read about networks and sensors, I'm going to store that all in the kitchen. So if there's four or five keys that I need to know there, then I'll put that content in the kitchen. Then if I have anything on infinite computing, there might be four or five key things that I want to use to be able to instantly recall my understanding of the content. I can place that content there and the same with the office with the artificial intelligence. Is that clear enough? Yeah, I think that's great. And and again, I mean, I think you and I are both, I mean, you're obviously much more fluid in it than I am, but like, I, I understand these principles, but I want to make sure that like somebody listening can digest this. And, and you know, to a listener that's sort of thinking, what, what is he talking about putting infinite computing into his lounge, right? Like, what does that mean? And I think it sounds kind of goofy or ridiculous, but the example earlier with the, the 10 emotions of power, I think is really pertinent in the sense that from sort of a neurological standpoint, 
when you create these vivid and unique images, your mind, your hippocampus specifically, which is sort of a piece of your brain that helps encode memories and trigger things that are worth remembering or not, specifically says, oh, this is something really vivid, interesting, and unique. And so it remembers it. And when you create these ridiculous images, like a cheese grater on your knee, right? I know that stands for gratitude. And it's much easier to, to use the natural language of your brain, which is visual and spatial thinking, to encode these memories. And however kind of goofy or ridiculous the visual markers, aka unique images that you create are, you know, that is what makes it so that your brain kind of says, ooh, this is important information and it makes it sticky and makes it easier to remember. And so, you know, I just want to reiterate that because I think it's really important for somebody listening that maybe isn't as familiar with some of these memory strategies to realize that it sounds kind of goofy and weird, but if you actually try it out, and I think if you just actually did the exercise we did with the 10 emotions of power, you'd be surprised in a week from now, you could probably remember all 10 of them just like that. You know, I I was doing a, a an exercise the other day where I was memorizing 20 random words, and I can still remember probably 80% of them just because I can remember the the sort of unique and ridiculous visual images that I created to remember them. And these methods are really simple, but they're not easy. You know, so the the method is really simple, you know, place, unique image, glue, but you have to practice it. You have to work with it. You know, the first day you jumped into your car, you didn't start driving. You needed to work with it. You needed to get those key fundamentals, learn to become more creative, play with it. And don't be one of those people that say, this doesn't work for me. I don't think this way, you know. I don't think this way naturally either. You know, I've trained my way, my mind to think this way because it works and you can store an unlimited amount of information with this method. And in the beginning, it may be wacky, it may be illogical, but with a bit of review, it'll become logical and you'll be able to instantly recall your understanding too. And you're a testament to this. I mean, literally, you know, what for someone with severe dyslexia to a world champion memory expert, you know, kind of living proof that it's not the kind of thing that if you try these tactics once and you say, oh, it didn't really work for me, you something you have to train and improve. Yeah, you have to keep on training, keep on working with it. You know, some of our medical specialist students now can learn a whole book in three days just by because they've trained themselves, they've put the work in. And if you don't put the work in, it's going to be slow at first. So you have to be slow to smooth, smooth to fast, slow to smooth, smooth to fast. You know, so it's going to be a process. It is a skill. It's something that you have to learn. But you can't just get it, do it once, and then all of a sudden think, oh, this didn't work for me. You know, keep on working with it. And let's say if you have some students and they have an exam, you know, don't go and try and remember all your content today with it. Maybe just try it with 10%. And then the next week you try and add a little bit more and you just keep on building up until you get to a point where you become a master with this content. So how much time, uh, this is another thing that I'm really curious about personally, how much time do you spend either daily or weekly on the consumption of new information versus the review of existing information? Because I feel like, especially as someone who you know is consuming such vast amounts of information as you are, how do you have the time to go back and review all of it? I make the time. So I do an hour every single day where I am just training my memory. And I'm also doing things like remembering cards and numbers. You know, it's like being on an exercise bike. There's no real, it doesn't really get you anywhere, but it helps to train your memory and helps you to become more creative with content. And I also spend an hour a day reading a new book. You know, I try to get through as much book as many books as I can. And sometimes I can do up to three, four hours. I try to get through a book a day or to hold the key content 
something from the book every single day. So uh, scheduling time in my diary, I think that's the problem is that most people try to manage time and not control time. So when you control time, that you make it a discipline. You know, every day I go to the gym, I spend an hour. Every day I would run. Every day I would do my memory training. And discipline is also key with all of this. So that's a whole other topic on its own. <laughs> I'm also curious, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge Evernote user myself. And I know you're, you're a very avid user of Evernote as well. How do you think about the balance between, you know, a tool like Evernote that kind of externalizes your memory and your information versus storing it in your own memory? One of the things that I do is that I outsource all those things that are not a priority, you know, that I have reminders for things like take out the trash, or reminders for all these things that are not key to my life. So Evernote and Todoist and Dropbox and all that, that's great for that. And I use my memory methods to remember key information that I absolutely need to have an internal experience with, you know, like a specific business framework or something that I'm using for coaching, for writing or speaking. And I use my memory for that specific content. But Evernote and that, I outsource all of the things that I don't really need to hold in my mind. And I keep all my review lists in there as well so I can constantly keep that information alive over time. And for somebody who's listening who thinks, you know, between something like I can basically Google anything and so, or, and I can store the rest of the information I need in Evernote or bookmarks or wherever, why do I need my memory at all? What would you say to them? Well, imagine I took your memory out of your brain. Who would you be? You'd be nothing. You know, everything you are today is because of your amazing memory. And the more memories that you have properly stored in your brain, the more unique combinations and connections you can make. But if you don't have anything in your brain, you can't make those unique combinations and connections. Yes, we can look up content, but you're not boosting your general knowledge. Now, if you're thinking about reading, if you're reading something like the cat sat on the mat, but you don't know what a cat is and you don't know what a mat is, <laughs> you are not going to be really reading that information. You're not going to be really taking that information in. So that is the danger about observing information compared to having this internal experience that you can only do with your memory. Because memory is not about just learning content or remembering content. It's about boosting your creativity with content that's already in your mind. I think that's such a key thing to remember or understand is that it's not just about sort of filling your mind with facts and figures and random information. But once you have that information in your working memory, the subconscious can start to recombine and process and you can have these novel and creative insights. And without having all that information downloaded into your brain, you're robbing yourself of the ability to see connections where they may not be and, and, you know, create kind of novel and new insights. And if you don't know content, you've got no control over that content. And if you have no control over that content, you get bad results. If you get bad results, you're not going to like what you do. And if you don't like what you do, you're not going to really get to know more and you don't want to keep on going. So that's why it's so important to know content because when you have it, there's absolute control. I mean, would you hire someone for their ability to Google information? You wouldn't. You want people with experience. You wouldn't allow someone to operate on you if they had to continually look at a video to see how it's all done. You want people with information on their fingertips and that they have absolute control of that content. So do you, you know, do you find that, and, and I know we've touched on this already, but I, something that I still kind of, at least sort of a, a limiting belief or fear that I have about these memory strategies, do you find that your memory palaces get too cluttered or crowded or, 
you know, sort of stuff full of ideas and, and how do you deal with that? So I have two keys. I have information I need to learn for just in time and I have information I need to learn for just in case. So my just in case journeys would be a specific location. So, for example, if I'm learning the 17 key customer service principles from the book, The Kindness Revolution, then I would go and store that at a specific business and I'll leave that content there. And that is the only place that that content will be. I won't override that or put any other content there. So I can always have that as a location for that specific content. But for information that I want to remember for just in time, so like just for a presentation I maybe need to do tomorrow and then I need to do a different one a few days later, then I put the content on a journey and 72 hours later, I can reuse that journey again. You just let that information go. The journey will naturally clear out and then you can keep on reviewing that content. So the secret would be to go and Find journeys that you need for just in time and then have specific journeys for just in case. So if it's key content that you need for your business, for your life or for your studies, go and put it at a specific shopping mall and leave it there. Keep on reviewing it and that will only be the place where you can find that content. How would you distinguish and maybe you wouldn't distinguish, but I'm, I'm curious between a memory palace and a memory journey? I think it's really just words. They're really the same things. You know, the memory palace, I think it became popular from the TV show Mentalist. The guy kept on saying about memory palaces. A memory palace would be any house, journey, any place that's in your long-term memory that you could use to store content. But uh, some people, they'll stick and draw specific palaces and that, but you don't need to do that. It's just using journeys, using houses. I mean, if you think about how much place, how many places you have in your mind right now, you've got your house, you've got friends' houses, you have shopping malls, you have universities, schools, holiday resorts. I mean, there's just so much place in your mind that you can use to store content. You know, even sort of virtual locations. And I know you, obviously, we talked earlier about you, how you use Google Maps as one of these kind of tactics. But as somebody who plays video games, and I'm sure many of our listeners play video games as well, like these virtual maps and worlds from video games, I can still vividly remember the tiniest details of, of a lot of these places. And so, you know, even when you if you ever were to run out of physical spaces, which is almost impossible, you can start to kind of get into these virtual spaces as well. You can use anything that's in your long term memory. You could use anything that is a, that is a place for you and you can store the content there. I personally don't like to use the virtual video games and, and that because it's not as real as using a Google map or actually being on that physical locations. So first prize is always to have the physical location. Next, you can use a Google map. And if you do, if you play a lot of video games, you can also maybe use that if you, if it works for you. It's really the secret is if it works, keep it. If it doesn't work, then just let it go and try something else. And that sort of 72-hour memory journey that you use or the one that resets in 72 hours for the kind of just-in-time information, I guess, how is that distinguished from a place like, let's say, we stored a bunch of memories in a shopping mall that we wanted to always have be in that specific location, or we stored them at the Taj Mahal or whatever. Where, What are these sort of shorter just-in-time memory journeys? You know, are, are they in your house? Are they like walking down the street? Or how do they differ from these really permanent places? It depends. So like, for example, with my presentations, I always open up my presentation, remembering a 60 digit number in 20 seconds. So I need a journey for that. And 
tomorrow I'm going to need a journey again. So I have set out that Monday would be the specific journey and I actually give it a week for the journey to clear out. But these journeys are different places. So it would be best friends' houses. It would be uh, specific malls that I like a lot. And then each day would have a different journey, a different place or a different palace that I can use. So basically places that you go more frequently where the memories are kind of being washed over regularly, these are the ones you use for sort of shorter memory palaces. That I use for shorter ones and I've decided and allocated them specific days. So Monday would always be this friends of mine's house. Then Tuesday would be that place, that shopping mall, Wednesday would be that. So that I could just keep on going through and it'll just naturally clear out. So the key to accelerated learning is getting super organized. So it's getting organized with your journeys, creating places. It's a bit of hard work in the beginning, but you're creating a super system so that you can hold on to an unlimited amount of content. Tell me a little bit more about the the importance of organization to becoming sort of a super learner. So getting journeys in your mind, getting houses in your mind, you know, making lists, making maps, maybe putting them into Evernote or into a storage system that you prefer, you know, going like, let's say, around my office. So the first place would be maybe the cupboard, then the printer, then the stapler, then the watch, then the computer. And I'd write that in and, and get to know those journeys really well so that I don't have to ever think about the journey because it has to become like paper, you know, that when you're busy writing on paper, you don't think about the paper. You're thinking about the content that you want to put on that paper. So you would go and organize journeys, put them into Evernote and, and have places for specific content that you would want to learn. If you're reading a book, you find the book and if a specific book happens to be Awaken the Giant Within, you think, well, what place does Awaken the Giant within remind me of. And then I'd think about a theme park where I saw this giant and now I've got a journey that I could use with that. So in that way, you know, you're organizing content, but you're also giving yourself flexibility to be able to learn any information that you want to need, that you want to learn. That makes a lot of sense. And, and it's really, really helpful. I know we've been kind of getting into a lot of the specifics and kind of really concrete questions about this stuff, but I think it's really important um, you know, as someone who's trying to implement a lot of these strategies in my own life, you know, these are the questions I have. And I think for listeners who are interested in developing a really, you know, a super memory or, or leveraging some of the tactics of the world's memory champions, this has been a great exploration of a lot of those kind of key learnings and challenges. Awesome. And, you know, it does take a bit of work. As I said, it's simple, but it's not easy. But just uh, break it down slowly, make small changes over time, and you will be able to get there. You can't change your destination overnight, but you can always change your direction. And so just, you know, decide I'm just going to go and learn the news tonight and watch the news and get keywords and have that in your memory. Go and learn the street names. Go and learn a shopping list. Have a bit of fun with the information. Play with it until you get to a place where you can learn any information. And you really can. In the beginning, it's hard, but as you work with it, it's going to get easier and easier every single day. And I think that's a that, that's another great point. I've heard you say this before as well, but you know, there's no such thing as kind of a quick fix or a magic strategy. It's really just putting in the hard work. The tactics are simple, but they're not easy. And as Jim Rohn said, success is neither magical nor mysterious. It's a natural consequence of consistently applying basic fundamentals. So the fundamentals are really easy. All the memory masters are going to tell you the same place unique image glue or long-term memory plus short-term memory equals medium-term memory you keep on working with that you are going to get results and take your memory to a new level i love that quote it really succinctly kind of captures one of my core beliefs and ethos is about just life and success in general for somebody who's been listening to this conversation and wants to kind of take the first step 
and implement some of these memory strategies into their lives, what would be kind of an action item or a piece of homework that you would give them to get started? So really start small, go and find specific books on memory. I have a book on memory as well, and you can go and learn more about it. But a small little action would be just create a journey. Think about maybe your house or think about uh, a running route or maybe a shopping mall and just ask someone to write down 10 words and let them call them out and try to use a unique image. You might get all 10, you might get five out of 10, but more that you practice with it, the easier and easier it's going to get. So just every single day, just try and create journeys, try and play with this body list, play with putting information on your car and keep on looking for place, unique image and glue, and just play with it first. And then you can start to get a bit more advanced, get bigger journeys, start to learn more content, using it for learning, for studies, for personal development, or any area of your life that you want to improve. I actually had one other point that I'd love to just clarify and get a little bit better understanding of is I, I have I think I have a really good understanding of place and unique image. When when you say glue is that just making it sort of so vivid or ridiculous or kind of over the top that the brain remembers it? Or is there something else there that that I haven't sort of fully described? So the glue would be making it over the top. So you're using your senses, you know, using your sight, your sound, touch, feel, everything, exaggerating the information, energizing the information, giving it action. You know, like you can see that greater, you can feel that greater, you can see the cat, you can touch a cat. It's maybe a big, hairy, furry cat and you can see that. And the more that you do that, the more it's going to glue the content to the place. Perfect. Perfect. And Kevin, for listeners who want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you? Where can they find your books, uh, et cetera, online? The book is available on Amazon.com, so it's unlimited memory. And uh, my website is supermemory.co.za or in the US.co.za. So supermemory.co.za. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom. I love how kind of practical and tactical we got. Uh, You know, I think for listeners who actually went through the exercise of placing those 10 markers on their bodies, I think you'll be surprised how effectively you'll be able to remember that marker days or weeks later without any sort of work. And if you actually review it, you can really, really encode it into your memory and and have a great grasp of the 10 emotions of power. But Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing all this wisdom. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or 
If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Oh, you're still here? You're still listening to the show? That's exciting because there's something special I want to share with you. Today, you're going to get a little behind-the-scenes peek at what our conversations look like after we wrap an interview. This one was particularly fascinating and demonstrates the power of the memory techniques that Kevin shared in the episode. But you'll also get to see our producer, Austin, will be joining us, and it'll be a nice little conversation. We decided to throw this in as something for listeners who stay and listen to the end of the episode. So without further ado, here's our secret end conversation with Kevin Horsley. All right, cool. That's a wrap. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Well done, guys. That was great. I hear I missed some incredible content. I'll have to go back and listen to that here. Yeah, Austin, you missed like the key piece of the whole conversation, which is (laughs) Kevin (laughs) Kevin taught me the 10, the 10, uh, the 10 emotions of power using visual markers. And so now I have them all memorized. Oh man, can you tell them right to you read, read them off right now? Yeah, so I'll tell you the markers too, but like you kind of had to go through the exercise to get the full thing. Well, we won't waste Kevin's time, but I'll tell them to you. Though. Yeah, yeah. No, it's well, fun. Kevin. It's fun. I, I, I'm gonna, I want to test you as okay, well. Okay, 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 so I, <laughs> Let's do it. Giant present on top of my head, and that's contribution. And then there's vitamins being like dumped into my forehead. That's vitality or energy. I've got a big smile on my face, like an oversized smile, almost like a fake plastic smile. And that's, um, that is. Oh my gosh, what is that one? Um, I see, I can see the image, but I lost it. I, okay, it's cheerf- cheerfulness. Cheerfulness, that's right. Cheerfulness. Uh, there you go. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes. I remember the image, but I can't remember what I encoded to it. I just want to stop you with that. When that happens, you'll only really make the mistake once. And so when you do that, it will encode even, it'll become even stronger. It'll probably be stronger than all the rest because you made a mistake, you fixed it, and it will be there forever. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. All right. All right. So anyway, on my, in my right hand, I have like a, a little miniature con artist and that's confidence. And my left hand, I have a, a tiny ballerina doing the splits and that's flexibility. And then I see the Terminator like busting out of my stomach and that's determination. And then there's like an excited snake belt that's excitement. On my thigh is like a cat. It stands for curiosity. And then there's a cheese grater like grating my knee. And that stands for gratitude. And then uh, there's like a my wife, like a miniature version of my wife standing on my feet. And that stands for love. And that was backwards. Awesome. Well, done. <laughs> well done, man. That was backwards. I could do it the other way too. That's incredible. Yeah, man. I love the Kevin, like doing the research on you. I love the the 20 work, the 20 numbers and uh, or not 20. Well, how many numbers was it in 20 seconds? Well, there were two, but the one that I did on that one TV show was 27 digits in four seconds. And then I saw the, the one other on, one on Ted. On Ted, so that was 60, 60 digits in, uh, or sixty, well, fifty-four digits in twenty seconds, forwards and backwards. Incredible! When I was watching that the whole time, I was like, fingers crossed. I was like, come on, man, come on. <laughs> <laughs>
No, but this is great, man. Matt, well done. I mean, that was backwards even. So uh, obviously I learned that there. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.